You are listening to the Saved from Death podcast. Please listen to all episodes in their correct numerical order. You can find a full list of episodes in their correct order by visiting savedfromdeath.com or savedfromdeath.net. To contact Jason Holman, send email to savedfromdeathcontact at gmail.com. Hello to all my listeners. My name is Jason Holman, and you are listening to the Save from Death podcast. Uh, this should be, I, I do believe this would be about episode six um, in the series. And um, what we're going to do, we're going to continue off of, well, not really continue off. We're going to start kind of a new um, segment. For the past several episodes, I've been telling you my story of how God, when I was 29 years old, um, which I'm not sure if I've clarified, I think I've made it clear that uh, that was about 17 years ago. Right now, I'm 46. I'll uh, be turning 47 here in February. Um, but this all began when I was 29 years old in May of 2003. God began to call me, and then through a process of calling and working in my life, he instilled in me the fear of God. Um, and so those last episodes we're talking about pretty much left off with, at that point, God instilled his fear in me. And then it kind of, the climax of that was in December of 2003, when I came to know that I was filled with the Spirit of, excuse me, the Spirit of God. And what that awareness of God's spirit was, I'd, I'd come to learn later on, was really, because um, I, I didn't go over this in that last episode, it was really, I mean, it was just God's approval. It was just the awareness I see now of God's, that, you know, he was smiling over me. And I was going to live with that smile, with that rejoicing of God in my heart for, for quite a while. Um, now, there's a lot to be said about when that smile sort of evaporated and when it, so when I began to... Um, kind of notice it wasn't as strong. Um, at the time, I didn't think much of it. I didn't really notice what had happened. Um, but, you know, looking back from now, I can go, oh, yeah, certainly that smile, that rejoicing, that abundant life I was living in faded away. Um, the awareness of God never faded away. My fear of God never faded away. Um, and I always knew he was with me. I'd always, I, it, it, I, I was well aware he was with me. But that dancing joy that just made life um, absolutely incredible uh, it was going to fade away, and there's a reason for that. Um, there's a lot to be said about that, but right now is not the time. What we're going to do, we'll pull back. We'll we'll be we'll still be going back to my story, because there's a whole lot then to be said <clears throat> for these past 17 years of what God has done, how He's brought me to the truth. I'm getting ready to share with you. Uh, it's been a long process, and some of it needs to be um, gone over. But uh, right now is not the time for that. We will. What, what's probably going to happen now is I begin to share the things I know is true <clears throat> and the things I understand in Scripture. I can maybe then go back from little clips of my life of um, just the little... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to those times to kind of um, I'll make the point. Um, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say there. There will be a time to go back and look at my life um, when I'm trying to convey a truth in Scripture and show how that actually worked out in my own life at a, at a certain time in the past. And then, so when we come to those moments, when I think it's beneficial, then we'll be going back. My story will continue uh, for the past 17 years. It's just not going to be the main focus um, right now. So what we're going to do today, though, I'm actually going to tell you about the hope that God has for man, the hope that God had when he looked into the future and he decided to create men, what his hope was, what his desire was, what his longing was, why God decided to do that. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up here. I'm going to actually what I'm going to do is I will speak from my perspective. I'm going to be pretty much saying, you know, when God decided to create Jason Holman, 
This is what he wanted. This was his desire in me. Now, the reason for this, let me explain why I'm doing this. This is not to shut other people out. That's not the goal. Um, and, and to make this appear like this was, I'm the only person in the world this is happening to. Not at all. It's simply, it's going to relieve a little bit of pressure. If I try to say, like I'm speaking out to the world, this is what God wants to do in men. And uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to be under pressure to make sure I really say it just right, as if I'm trying to convince you, which I can't do anyway. Um, and so there's no reason to try to convince you that this is true. Uh, but I would be a little more pressure. I'd be a little more worried about how it all came out. And that would just throw me into bondage. And it, it would be all jumbled. It would be a jumbled mess. <clears throat> so I'm not going to worry about that. Instead, I'm going to say, this is what God was doing in me. And I'm pretty much going to tell, um, pretty much, it'll be just uh, maybe a look back, a little bit of a celebration of what I know to be true, of what God was wanting to work in me, and, and how what the obstacles were to making that happen, and, and the things that had to be in place in order for that to happen. And so when I'm speaking from my perspective, I can speak with a certain amount of freedom. I'm not under pressure to convince me that this is true. I know it's true. And so for me, I'm just reliving what I already know. And so I believe the fruit of that will actually be it'll come out um, if God does want to use this for the ears of others, it will come out in a clearer, um, more effective manner than if I try to pretend, I'm, uh, imagine I'm speaking it out to others, trying to convince others that this is true. Um, I, I think it'll fall apart on me. So, um, so let's do that. We're going to tell, I'm going to tell you a story. <clears throat> when God decided to create Jason Holman, when God decided to create man, what he really wanted, what was his goal? What was his motivation? And um, I guess the first thing we need to know about God, uh, I mean, I think it's clear from creation itself, is God is good. He is <clears throat> good. And because he's good, there is actually a desire in God to project this good. He loves opportunities to be good, to actually um, to share his goodness. That is, what, that is his longing. That is his desire. And so that is the number one reason God created man, was simply to have an outlet for him to share his goodness, to actually pass on goodness. Um, and so he, um, so now in order for God to have a people in which he could share his goodness with, um, what he wanted was actually an unending opportunity. <clears throat> the purpose of man, the reason he created Jason Holman, the reason he created all those who are one day going to abide in a world to come, that great multitude of people, the reason they will exist is because God wants an unending opportunity to share goodness. He wants, he, when he creates man, the purpose of man is that they will have an unending need. And that God will forever be able to pour out his goodness and provide for that unending need of man. The idea that we're someday going to live in a place uh, where we'll no longer have needs, we'll no longer have um, weakness, is, um, I would certainly say, is a far-fetched idea. And it's not consistent with what I now know to be the truth of why God created man. God created man to be a very desperately, desperately needy individual, the weakest of all individuals. And he did that on purpose so that he could have a perpetual a resource, a perpetual vessel to pour goodness upon. That vessel would never, ever, ever run dry. But that vessel, every day of every moment of its existence, will be completely dependent upon God. You know, there's a verse, um, let's see if we can find it real quick here. 
Um, and let me give you a heads up here. If I ever say I'm looking for a verse and then all of a sudden it just, bam, I just suddenly found it, that just means I probably edited out the portion where I was looking for the verse. Um, so in the future, if you if I say I'm looking for a verse, bam, we're there. Just know I didn't just magically zap there. Um, I paused the recorder or else I edited out the pause when I was editing this at a later time, as I'm probably going to do right now. Okay, the verse I was talking about was Acts. It's Acts chapter 17, and um, it'd be verse 28. Now, I'll skip the context before that verse, but um, or let's read verse uh, 27. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after. Well, let's go verse 26. Acts 17, verse 26 to 28. And God made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live, and move, and have our being. Okay, there, there's nothing, um, that verse is, you know, just what it says. That is the truth of man. It is only in God we live, and move, and have our being. Now that applies right now to every single person on this planet, whether they're a believer, whether they've gone through the process I've gone through, or rather they say there is no such thing as a God. It doesn't matter. They still exist in God, and they only exist by God. Their sustenance, their daily existence, everything positive in them that they need for any kind of life, whether it be physical life, the comfort of food, the comfort of the security of shelter, the security of clothing, um, the supply of air he breathes. A man is a needy individual and, um, or rather it be their spiritual needs, a little bit of joy in our life, just a little bit of happiness to make it through till tomorrow. Every bit of that, what is positive in our life, believers, non-believers come from God himself, directly from God. It's not something it exists within us of our own. It is in him we live and move and have our being. And that will be the truth 10 million years from now in the life of Jason Holman. I will be utterly, utterly dependent upon God for every good thing that comes into my life will be of him. And I will live forever dependent upon him. And that is by design. That is so God, that is so I will fulfill my purpose. That this good God who longs to pour out his goodness will have a vessel to pour his goodness out upon, world without end. Now, this is why God made man from the dust of the earth, okay? It's very important to understand. This is a subject in scripture that's not accidental. It's not just random when it says, from the dust of the earth, God created Adam. From the dust of the earth, God created man. That's going to be a theme in all of Scripture. Um, and now listen, let's go over this again real um, carefully. Uh, well, I don't know about carefully, but let's go over this again, because I think I've said this earlier. You need to understand my perspective of Scripture at this point in time. At this point in time, I believe the Scripture is um, its a description of what God, a spirit, it's a spiritual picture of what God is working inside of me internally as he's brought me to this truth. I don't believe that the Bible itself, when it talks about the creation of the world, um, that it's really speaking of, or even when it talks about man and woman, that it's really talking directly about me. It's the, the context of Scripture is once I enter into the fear of God, that story is about a people who fear God. That story does not begin in my life. It did not begin in my life to take place until um, somewhere uh, in 2003, 
uh, whenever I began to really fear God and truly wanted to please him with my life. That's when I stepped into the pages of scripture. That's when I stepped into the Garden of Eden. Um, but in spite of that, there are, there's a whole lot of things that cross out of scripture that actually, you know, they enter into my own real story. They're, they're parallels that God knows that, that it's okay to make. And one of these is about being made out of the dust of the earth. That's an important theme in all scripture, man being made out of the dust of the earth. In fact, whenever you see the term flesh, um, that's a reference going back to the fact that we're made out of the dust. And so, um, and so I do believe even stepping out of scripture, we're stepping out of scripture, we're stepping into the here and now of Jason Holman, the reality of my life. Was Jason Holman made out of the dust? Um, I'm not really sure what scientists would say about that, what their final conclusion would be. But even regardless of what they would say, it, it's not going to matter to me because I accept that. I understand that is actually a truth of Jason Holman. Um, I have no problem with the idea of us being made out of the dust. And um, and so a, a somebody who really wanted to argue that, um, th- th- to say, well, we're not literally made out of dust, that may be true. But what man is certainly made out of is we exist by the things that, that are in our bodies exist within the elements of this world. They belong to the earth. They, they are created, they, they are substances that once belonged you know, in the ground, and therefore, and then through the passage of time, through nourishment to our, our mothers, and, um, and just through the process, you know, those, those things we came to inhabit, these things didn't just magically create substance. It, this substance came from somewhere, and it came from the elements of the earth that exist around us. And then when we die, uh, we do, you know, literally turn back into, uh, I'm not sure uh, what the difference between the dust of our bodies once we decay versus the regular dirt that's around us. But we do return to um, dust of the earth. So it's not a stretch to say, you know, man, even here, outside of Scripture, outside the story of Scripture and reality of our world, we are made out of the dust. And that is intentional. It's on purpose. And, and let me explain why this is. And it is because of being made out of the dust. This was on purpose. God made us the weakest and the neediest of all individuals. God intentionally made Jason Holman out of the dust so Jason Holman would be perpetual needy. Now let me explain a little bit what I mean here. There's, a, there's several areas this applies to. Um, um, first of all, we take physical needs. From the moment, because I, you know, came, I'm created from substance that belongs to the earth. You know, the moment I'm born, the earth begins to cry out. The ground beneath my feet says, huh, no, 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 you give that back. You give that dirt back to us. And it begins its pull immediately. It says, you're coming back. Now, to fight that pull of the earth, saying it wants its dust back, I've got to do certain things. I have needs. I have to have air to breathe. I have to have food, nourishment. I have to have water. Um, I have to have shelter from the cold and I'm going to need clothing. Okay. I'm going to be perpetually needy in order to resist the pull back as the earth tries to pull me back to it and tries to say, give us back our dust and tries, you know, what we're talking about be death. Um, as the earth tries to bring me back to death, I've got to constantly resist the pull of the earth by having certain needs met. And so there's forever a battle between me and the earth. I want to keep the dust so I can live in this body. The earth wants its dust back. So there's perpetual need. 
It never going to end. It's never going to end as long as I exist. There's going to be the pull back to the the earth. Um, and so this um, makes me desperately needy. And who is the only one that can provide these needs? It gives in God a constant outlet of pouring good upon my life. It is only by God I live and move and have my being. God is the one who, you know, food. Yeah, we go to a store. We just, we take that for granted, don't we? We bought that food with our money. Um, and we assume it's by our strength. It's by our power, really, that we eat. We don't really recognize that we exist and we live and we have our being in the God who created this world, a God who created us. Um, our clothing that we wear, we just go to the store and buy it, and it doesn't dawn on us that in him we live and move and have our being. That material came from somewhere, from some substance. Man did not pull that substance out of thin air. Without God, we would be without hope of having clothing, whether it's from the skin of an animal or whether it's through some art of, uh, scientifically fabricated, um, some uh, synthetic material, or whether it's from the, the cotton plant. It all comes from God. So in order to fight the cold, we depend on God. In him, we live and move and have our being. We are desperately weak. We are, we are helpless without him. Life would not be sustained without him. We need shelter from the storms. Well, where did that wood come from that built our houses? Where does any shelter come from? Uh, we didn't pull it out of thin air. It exists from God himself. He is the creator of that shelter. He is the one who created the, the, you know, whatever the raw materials were in the first place. He's the one that gave men the wisdom to build the saws, to, to cut the lumber. He's the one that's given men the wisdom to build these buildings. He's the one. Every good thing is sourced from God himself. And so in him we live and move and have our being. Everything we need, the air we breathe, do we produce that as man make oxygen? No, that oxygen is coming back from those glorious trees that our creator and his wisdom and his brilliance uh, made. And so in him, we live and move and have our being. And so it will be forever and ever and ever. Jason Holman is a desperately, desperately needy man. Without God, I'm nothing. Without him, if he vanishes off the scene, I vanish off the scene. There is no separation between me and my existence and God himself. Every good thing that abides in me is of God. So now, so God wants me, um, and this is by design. God created me out of the dirt so that I would be weak. I would be helpless. I would be incapable. Uh, I would always be needy. And, and, and incapable of providing any good on my own. I will always be dependent upon God. And God, therefore, when I submit to him and when I accept him, you know, to be, when I come to accept this truth um, and truly, uh, well, we're dependent on God whether we accept it or not. It's by accepting it and knowing this is truth and truly being glad that we are dependent on him. When, when that's not a something we sorrow over, when it's something we rejoice in. Um, it is a beautiful thing, and therefore, and then God is free to just pour out goodness upon me perpetually because I want him to, and he has a source of to show goodness to that's never going to end. I will always be needy. Now, in this neediness, though, it doesn't just stop at physical needs. It actually, this is kind of what it all comes down to. This is, um, there, there's another need that we're going to have out of this dirt, um, and it's the need. It actually comes to our emotional. It comes to kind of our spiritual side of things. Um, and what I'm speaking of here is it is because, listen, since we're made out of dirt, whether you believe that or not, you are conscious of it. 
And the consciousness of that, the proof of your consciousness of that is the fact that your entire life you spend trying to give yourself some sort of value. Forever, man, from time we come out of the womb and really become conscious of ourselves, we are aware that, you know, we are dirt. That's all we are. We are empty. We, we need value. We do not come into the world just feeling automatically great about ourselves and just secure and um, just confident in who we are and not caring about the opinions of others. And um, no, we come into the world and we're immediately aware um, well, as, as soon as we really become self-aware, we are then aware of some need. We are fighting for value. Uh, and therefore, then begins the great battle of men to try to create this value. And so uh, what happens is we pretty much, we, we, um, we you, there's kind of two choices going to be in life. One is going to be for those who do fear God and who truly, you know, reverence him and, and see him as the greater. Um, God has a plan. They can be saved. Because God's going to be able to fill the lack of value they want. He's going to be able to satisfy that because he's, those who fear and reverence God will ultimately come to understand that they are valued by God himself. And that will immediately, um, well, not immediately, it's been a long process, but it will fill that vacuum and it will set that person free from their need for value. But those who do not reverence God, those who do not come, you know, to ever see him as good and truly want to be sought after and want to desire uh, above all as when those who do not see their God as one who is beautiful and wise and lovely and one they seek after and they seek to please, they're never going to know the filling out that void. And what they're going to be, they're going to be slaves their entire existence. And, um, and they're going to you know forever, they're, they're going to look to others for their value. And they're going to try, you know, their other, um, they're, 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 they're going to always be judging themselves by how other people see them. And, um, and so they're going to be in bondage their whole life. You know, they're going to, they're going to spend doing things they really don't want to do behaving in a way they really don't want to behave because they're worried about the judgment of someone else. And so they're not never going to live to themselves. They're never going to live to their true individual identity that they were born with. That identity is going to be swallowed up in their lack of value and they're going to be trying to fill that void. And what they're going to do, because they are worried about what other people think. And it's not just what other people think. It's actually, you know, either God is your greater than or you are your greater than. So there's got to be a greater than somewhere in your life. Um, if it's not God, then it's you. And you're going to be a slave to yourself. And yourself is going to say, okay, we got to get valued. And you start trying to find out what's the source of that going to be. And ultimately it is, it's looking outward to other people, trying to build yourself up in their eyes so you can be valued. And then it's going to begin this ridiculous Efforts of, you know, it's a cruel life we humans live because of this lack of value. Listen, I want to say something. I'm not here. I'm not knocking education in a sense where it's necessary. It's good for kids to learn to read, a basic math, or beyond, a little bit beyond basic math. There are skills we need in daily life that are good, that are exciting to learn, that really add, you know, they, they, they help us function in a real um in a, in a real function with our real needs of life. Um, they help us in, they give us the ability to, to read. They give us the ability to, to enjoy books, the ability to, you know, do logic problems and the ability to, um, to, to build things. And so there's a lot of learning that is actually necessary for our lives, for our actual enjoyment. But there's a whole lot of crap we, we, we throw in after that that has nothing to do, that no one's ever going to use, that doesn't matter diddly squat in your certain ed, um, profession. 
And yet we're taught, you know, this is important. This is what people do. They get educated. What the, what, what's that all about? I mean, the, and so that's what, um, what it's about is that um, it, it's, it's about us seeking value because we have none. And so we create all these arbitrary things. You come into the world and you're in this system, whether you like it or not. And, and until God saves you from it, your life is going to be one of bondage. You've got to get an education. You don't just stop at high school. You know, truth was, Jason Holman could have, could have dropped out at probably ninth grade and been, my life wouldn't have changed very much as far as, because um, I didn't learn a whole lot from ninth grade on. Uh, it was just killing time to get my degree, my diploma, because that's what you got to have. And then after that, you know, you got to go to college. Or if you don't, then um, you're, you're, you're not quite as successful. You're not quite as valued as the person who did go in and, and get that degree. And yes, there are certain occupations um, that are actually maybe practical, necessary occupations on this earth that people really do need a certain training in. And I understand that completely. But that's not the world we live in all the time. It's people getting educated because it's what you do. It's the pressure. It's what gives you value. And you're a slave to the fact you are of the dirt um, by constantly pursuing this satisfaction, this confidence in yourself, by trying to add some certain, you're constantly laboring. You're doing what you don't really want to do in order to um, find that value. And then the same thing goes with exercise. And listen, I'm not knocking sports. God, oh my, God gives. There's so many gifts of God. He is so wise. He's so loving. He's so incredible. And to give men sports, the ideas for it, that's of God. Man didn't create that up themselves. So you can watch a football game and you can be thankful to God. Oh, wow, God, that is so awesome that that men, you know, organize this game. And um, whether it be baseball, whether it be just dodgeball, bowling, whatever. I mean, God, God delights to give those things gifts to men. But because we have no value in and of ourselves, for many of us, these simple, enjoyable um, things, they become bondage. We got to be good at it. We got to be the best at it. We got to be better than this person in our life. Instead of enjoying it anymore, truly enjoying it, we are in slavery to it. Um, And so, uh, and then you, you know, you take on, it's fine. You know, there could be the, the rare person in this world who really does like to run. I mean, they, they just enjoy, you know, running, not because of how they're going to feel at the end. Oh, I'm going to feel better about myself or I'm going to be fit. I'm going to, uh, but maybe they actually enjoy running for running sake. Okay. But I'm not one of them. Uh, I much prefer, you know, a nice leisurely walk. I don't enjoy running, hurting, being out of breath. I don't enjoy running for running's sake. Maybe as a kid you did a little bit playing tag. And when you're, it's involved in a game, yes, there's a purpose to it that's fun. But when you're doing it just because you're trying to meet some time limit so you can, you know, reach this standard that people around you have said, this is a good standard. You know, this is a good mileage, uh, running a mile in this many minutes, that's good. And so we try to achieve these things. And it's just an arbitrary, who said that's good? Who told you that's good? Um, the people around you. And so you, because you want their approval, you want their wow, you need that wow, um, you're going to be doing what you don't want to do. Okay, you're not really you at that point. You're dead. You've become a slave to this this um, this neediness that lies within you, this need for value. And um, I, I guess we could say a whole lot more about that. Uh, we could go on and on and on how the need for value affects our life. It really drives us. Well, it drives us even in our physical needs, okay? So let's take housing and clothing and things like that. 
you know, I let me say here, I'd actually, you know, I look forward someday. Right now, God has my life on hold, and I live in a house we rent. It, it, it's fine. But truth be told, I mean, if you say, is that where you want to live forever? No. I someday want a nice house. Not so people can look at it and go, oh, you got a nice house. I, I don't care what, what other people think. Um, God saved me from that. That just doesn't matter at all. But I enjoy, you know, there's certain things I just like a certain way that I enjoy. I enjoy a nice room. I love to have a living room with a fireplace and some nice furniture, not, not cheap, not the cheap junk we currently have as we dwell as kind of strangers in this land um, as our life is on hold right now. But nice furniture, not so people can say, oh, you own that kind of couch. I don't care about what people think. For me to actually have comfort and coziness and a kitchen, it's nice. My wife could work in and have plenty of counter space and be nice counters and cabinets and um, to have um, doors that don't get stuck because our house sinking in certain places and uh, and thing, walls and floors are a little bit lopsided. To have things that are straight and solid and feel secure. And um, I look forward to that. And I know God wants better for me than I could ever want for myself. And so I know a day to come, you know, he's going to exceed my expectations. He knows me better than I do. Um, so let me say, I'm just saying that, though, you know, I'm not against any uh, cars. You know, our cars, we live on gravel road. We just drive, you know, we're well aware they're going to be torn apart anyway. It's not a big part of our life. Um, but it doesn't, it's not beyond me to enjoy a nice vehicle in a certain circumstances to actually not so people can look at me and go, oh, wow, but I could have a pleasure in the driving of it and the comfort of it. And those things are good things. But what's not a good thing is a lot of, a lot of what's going on in this world is not that it's not people really just enjoying a certain level of comfort for themselves. It's that they're, they're driven by this need that they're trying to add value to themselves and they're trying to look better in the eyes of others and they incur debt, they incur, it's not just debt, it's a hassle of owning so much junk that becomes a bondage itself. You got to keep up with it, you got to maintain it and if you buy something, you think uh, the boat or uh, some recreational thing and it sits outside and then you it just haunts you because you're never using it but you bought it because you know other people, um, you thought it would be good. You, you'd feel this boredom in your life and you'd have this, uh, you're looking for substance. And what we end up with is just more bondage. And so what happens with, because we're slaves to the dirt, we're slaves to that reality. We have no value. We're always looking for that value, always searching, um, trying to find that, that place of now I feel good. Now I feel valued. And the reality is we'll go our whole lives and never achieve that. Well, it doesn't matter how well someone else thinks of us. We'll always be, you know, you can have, be the greatest superstar in the world, have 10 million fans, but you get on YouTube and you scroll down the comments of one of your videos and you're still going to be sick in your belly when you come across that, that person. So well, that's a crummy song. How, how terrible. And it's going to affect you because um, you're still, you, you need, you, you can't bear with anyone disapproving of you because um, you, you, because you needed that, you need everybody to approve of you because your value is sought in something external um, from you. It's not, you don't have an internal sense of your worth. And, um, and then, then there is their self-help. You know, people would try to say, well, we create that. You know, you try to become self-confident. You try to get rid of insecurity. You try to create, but it's still more bondage. Think of all the work you're putting in to try to create this. And you know it's on shaky ground. Um, I know that. I'm not fooled by it. Um, you know, yeah, people may become a little more confident, but they're always having to maintain that state of mind diligently of, of being this air of confidence that's really not natural to them. It doesn't self-exist within them. Um, and so they're slaves to that. 
And so there is really our greatest need, and there's God's greatest opportunity to fill that need. When a person, when God puts his fear in a person, and they like that, and they say, yes, 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 God, you are my all in all. I now live, I quit worrying about myself. Um, and the way the cure for that is, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but the cure for what, what happened in my life, you know, Jason Holman, I, oh, my life embarrasses me when I think prior to being 29, and, and then even since in the past few years as God's been working in me, Many times I'd seek my value, uh, especially before I, I encountered God at 29. I was always, always seeking, always trying to find something, you know, maybe if I make enough money, maybe if I can get good at this skill, maybe, um, you know, always seeking just that little bit of um, notoriety and trying to, um, to, to find the approval of others. And uh, not that I was disapproved of others, but that wasn't good enough. I wanted to be approved. I wanted you know, to be thought well of by others. I wanted to wow people. I wanted to have a skill. I wanted to be, you know, people look at my life and go, wow. But the beauty of it is it started, you know, 29 years ago. I didn't, um, uh, one of the things I didn't mention, I mentioned in the last episode when I was talking about when right before I read Romans 8 and I realized I was filled with the Spirit of God, one of the things I also thought of, I, I didn't mention then, um, I was thinking, wow, Jason, you're content. You know, you used to always be seeking, seeking, seeking something, trying to find something, you know, to fill, to, to be great at something, to become good at something. You're, you actually like Jason Holman. For the first time in my life, I liked Jason Holman. I didn't know the root of that then. I do know now. Um, it is because I realized God's approval, the way God is going to overcome, you know, the, the, the cure for the value, for not, for... Um, the lack of value we have because we're made out of the dust is not that you're ever going to increase your self-value. You'll never, ever overcome that by being focused on yourself. Um, as long as you are the greater than, you'll never find relief from that. The relief from that came in my life is one day I quit caring about Jason Holman. My value didn't matter anymore. God's value is what mattered. God, you created me for your pleasure. You created me for your joy. Father, I want to bring you pleasure with my life. I quit looking at myself. My value was set in him. God, what is your, you know, you are the one who's valuable. I want to make sure I'm bringing value to you. Well, in the process of doing that, there was a day when God gave me his approval. You know, he smiled at me. Um, and, and, and when I knew I was filled with his spirit, it was his rejoicing over me. And I knew I was valued. I knew I was approved by him. I say I knew it. It's, it, it, it's more looking back at me. I can go now. I, I knew it then. I, something was different. Well, what was different? I had a sense of God's approval, God's rejoicing over me. And since he was the one I looked to for value and not, not for self-value, I was looking to give him value. I quit caring about my value. And then what happened, a reciprocation happened where the one I valued, suddenly I knew he valued me and loved me. And it was just, it was over with the need, you know, to impress others. It was over with at that time. Now I was going to fall back as time was going to go by. You know, there, there's a lot of times in my life since then, there was a little bit of coming concerned with money and how much I made versus someone else made. And, um, but that was all part of God's process of bringing me to where, um, he was going to bring me today. Uh, it wasn't some intentional stepping back into ignorance. I was just ignorant of what was really happening. Um, but anyway, so today, uh, the guy before you is incredibly secure. I'm incredibly, I just don't care. You know, I don't need the approval of others. I don't need um, other people to think well of me to impress people, whether it be my weight, whether it be some physical trait I have. Um, I still, you know, I still like to dress nice. I still like to look good. Um, honestly, for the sake of others, I think a lot of times, you know, I, I know it's nicer to look 
I like to look at something that looks nicer. I still appreciate beauty. I still appreciate things that are nice, but I don't need it for my sake of people, you know, say, Ooh, he, he's a good looking guy. That guy, he's dressed nice. I don't need that buildup. That does nothing to me. Um, it's just a preference. I still like, you know, I'm drawn to that, which to me is attractive. I'm still drawn to the attractive, but not drawn to the attractive because I'm valuing, um, you know, the person that's thinking that makes that person greater, or that makes that person better. I just understand. I'm just attracted to things that are more attractive. And I think that's, that's a God thing. That's a, uh, I'm attracted to a yard that's kept nice and looks nice, which isn't my yard right now, folks. Um, <laughs> that's another story for another time. Um, as God's been working in my life these past several months, he's had me seized. And there hasn't been, I haven't been doing much in life. My yard has fallen apart. We had a storm come by um, a little while ago, ice storm, and it, 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 here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and it destroyed. Leaves were still on our trees. And um, it was an unexpected ice storm. I mean, it put uh, some branches, I mean, were, you know, maybe an inch thick. They'd be two or three inches thick once all the ice had accumulated on them. In our house, we were just decimated with uh, big branches falling out of our trees all over our yard. I haven't been allowed, you know, God has had me seized. My heart is still wrapped up in him and what he's doing in my life. And I've not been able to go tend to that uh, get my yard cleaned up yet. And so the thing is, I'm attracted to what's nice. I would love, you know, look across my yard and see it nice, but God has something more important on me at the moment, but I'm still attracted to that. And there's nothing wrong with that. God is good. God is attractive. God is a creator of all beauty. Um, and so it's, it's a fairly natural thing to be attracted to what's, you know, attractive to us. And, uh, and other people may have different opinions of what they consider attractive. And that's certainly, you know, their freedom. That's their God given individuality. Um, but anyway, so, but um, ultimately, you know, in my life, there's been a, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful freedom to not give a rip what people think about you. Um, for your value not to exist in someone else's thoughts of you, for you to be truly yourself. And, um, and so, you know, let me say, uh, as far as God's hope goes, okay, so God wants to create a person who's desperately needy, dependent upon God. So God has the joy of, of, of constantly providing for that person, providing for their needs. So that's our first, one of our first foremost purposes for existing is for God's sake of having a people to pour out goodness upon. All right. But now because he's good, all right, it's not just, here's, he hopes for good for us and he wants, his whole desire for me is good. So when he looks at Jason Holman and as he's creating me for his pleasure, for him to have someone to pour out goodness upon, then he wants nothing but good for me. And so he's creating me very needy inside on purpose. He's creating me with a ton of needs. But now um, he's not only going to create me with needs, he's going to eventually come to teach me that he is the provider of those needs. Because you see, it's not a good thing. When God created me, he wants me to be 100% free. He gave me, when he gave me his body, listen, he didn't just give us needs, okay? That, that he can fulfill. He actually gave us, um, with those same needs comes, um, well, you know, we got to eat, but he didn't just make it so we got to eat. He actually gave us taste so we get the pleasure. We don't just eat food just because, you know, we, we got to survive. We eat food because we love to eat food because it tastes good. You know, it's a gift of God. That's intentional. That's part of God's goodness. That's him going above and beyond what he had to do. But it's a t- testament of his love and his kindness and his goodness towards man. He didn't just give us taste buds. He gave us eyes we can see. 
We get to see the things he made. We have ears to hear. We get to hear the sounds of nature. We get to hear the, the sounds of music. We don't just have ears so we can survive in this world, you know, and, um, and, and just uh, for the sake of following instructions that are necessary for life. We have ears for the sake of pleasure. We don't just touch, you know, so we can see what is safe to touch, what's not safe uh, versus something's going to hurt us, something's not going to hurt us, hot or cold. We have the sense of touch because it's pleasure. We have the pleasure of, of, of holding that new puppy. We have the pleasure of, of, of holding, not just, you know, we don't get to just see our newborn child. We don't just get to smell that child after they came out of a bath and you rubbed them with baby magic. But then you put their snuggy jammies on them and you get to hold that newborn in your arms as you rock them. You get, then you get to smell, you get to look at them. And every sense is given to us by God for, um, for our pleasure, it's above and beyond. It's a just um, his goodness knew no ends. He couldn't do enough for us. Smell, taste, hearing, sight, and touch. What incredible, incredible gifts he gave to us. Um, but so with that, he gave me all these senses. And then he gave me all this need that's actually a lot of times satisfying to fulfill. It's satisfying to eat a meal. It's satisfying when you go out and get thirsty and, um, and then you come in and you actually crave that water and you get to go get that drink. Oh, how good it is. You know, and you're quenching that thirst, that pleasure. You're not just quenching your thirst. You're actually receiving a pleasure in the experience. You know, that's of God. That's a gift of God. That's intentional. That's part of testimony of how good God is and uh, how kind he is. So, um, um, but here's the thing. God did not want me being in bondage to those needs. When God created me, and listen, there's a thing in Scripture, okay, we're, and when the Scripture talks about the wages of sin is death, I want to be clear about this. The death of Scripture has nothing to do with our physical death. Nothing. That story, once you enter into the pages of Scripture, anytime you're going to encounter death, that is a people who fear God. The death is talking about condemnation. It's a condemnation that keeps them out from boldly walking with God. Keeps them... Um, out of God's presence so his Holy Spirit cannot abide upon them. And the reason why it's important is without the Holy Spirit in them, teaching them consciously, they have no way of reaching this place of faith that's going to save us. Ultimately, it's going to save Jason Holman from the bondages to his fleshly needs. So the whole in Scripture, when you're reading about death, you're reading about condemnation. Never, not one time does that death in Scripture have anything to do with us who are outside the pages of Scripture talking about saving us from our physical death. There is a connection to that, a parallel, but it's just a parallel. The Scripture, when it talks about death, it's talking about there's two deaths in Scripture. One is my death of when I become condemned in the eyes of God, the God I love, the God I fear, the God I revere. When I feel I'm not measuring up to his expectations, which are just simply in my imagination, they don't exist, these expectations of God. But when I don't know that, and I believe he does have expectations, and I'm not meeting those expectations, I try to meet them uh, because I have condemnation. I'm trying to undo my condemnation. I'm dead. I'm trying to come be resurrected. I want to be resurrected to God's approval. But then at the same time, there's another death. It's, it's when, okay, so since, as long as I'm striving to reach God's approval, um, God is not rejoicing over me because I'm not coming to him as he is. He looks at me as no expectations. And he's looking at this child trying to achieve God's expectations that God doesn't have. Well, God is not rejoicing over me. 
in that state of doubt, that state of, of unbelief. And so he pulls back his Holy Spirit of rejoicing. And so there's a second death. Um, one is my condemnation. Um, so essentially, when Jason Holman, um, 17 years ago, came alive, when my life was really transformed, there were two forms of life entered into me. One of them was I suddenly became totally uncondemned in my conscience towards God and had confidence before him. And because I had confidence before him, he was rejoicing over me. And so two forms of life met, you know, God's rejoicing towards me coming down and my lack, my confidence towards God having no expectations, which wasn't conscious. I, I did not know that God as yet my con- and in me. It was through a process God himself had enacted in me. But I was experiencing life. All right. And so then later on, I was going to die. I would enter into condemnation. I would enter into God pulling back his Holy Spirit uh, to some degree um, to where it wasn't upon me abiding. And so Jason Holman was going to die again. Um, but now, you know, I'm at a place where I'm getting ready to live forevermore, uh, where all condemnation is gone and God's approval is perpetually upon me. And I'll live in that state, um, you know, eternally now that I understand what I do. But anyway, so when the scripture, though, talks about death, never is it about our physical death. That's not in the pages of your Bible. Um, and, and so, but the parallel then would actually be, so what is the parallel? I uh, hope you understand what I'm saying here. So we have the scripture, the scripture talks about a new heaven and a new earth, right? That has nothing to do with there literally being a new heaven and new earth. In the pages of scripture, that's not what that's about. But because God actually used that as an illustration in the scriptures, I am really, really confident. Um, I know there's a parallel. I do know there's a world to come. So outside the pages of scripture, you know, you have your line drawn uh, north to south in scripture, uh, the new heavens and new earth. And then you, you're going to step out the pages of scripture into the reality of, of my life, into the world I live in. There's going to be a line running parallel to that, which I can, scripture doesn't ever specifically say that there's a new heaven and new earth outside the pages of scripture. But I feel very confident, knowing what I know, that there is a new heaven and new earth to come in the reality of the world I live in. So um, so anyway, so that's what I mean by paralleling. There's a parallel to, so when the scripture talks about death, there's actually um, a parallel in outside the pages of scripture. So what is that parallel of death outside of scripture? Is it still our physical death at that point? Not really. Um, it's not really, par- here's the death God is concerned with. Here's the death God is, <clears throat> this is the death Jason Holman, I'm not there yet. I am so, so very close, okay? And when I say, I do mean close, that this is really the fruit of it is in my life. There's been much increase, much, um, but yet I'm not there yet. I'm not fully alive just yet. But what do I mean by life? Well, let me explain. God's desire for us, for us who are outside the pages of Scripture, is that Jason Holman, that he walk 100% at liberty, completely, completely free indeed with no bondage. There's two ways of living life. You can live your life by internal pressure. No, you can live your life, sorry. You can live your life by internal desire or you can live your life by external pressure. God under no circumstances wants me to live my life with external pressure. External pressure calls us and changes us from who we really are, from the God-given 
creatures of liberty God created. External pressure puts us in bondage. And so, and God doesn't want that because when I respond to an external pressure, I become who God did not create me to be. You see, there was a version of Jason Holman God created that came out of the womb. There was a very unique individual that God himself created and he created with rejoicing. He knew this Jason Holman would, um, you know, Jason Holman would not be a, a kid who enjoyed studying just for studying's sake. And there could be people that actually do enjoy that, okay? So when I say something that I don't enjoy, it's not like a law that goes across the board, all right? It's, it's me I'm speaking of. People have all kinds of different tastes by the will of God, things they really do truly enjoy, not because of outside pressure, but because of who they are. The person God gave birth to, they really, really like things that I couldn't even relate to liking. But this version of Jason Holman is certainly not going to like, um, you know, studying just for studying. Here's a funny thing about me. When I was actually in school, <clears throat> my first year of school, I think in first grade, or maybe a second year after kindergarten, in first grade, there was a special class. And they wanted to put, um, it, it, was a, it was like for an extra smart, I, I don't know what the term would be, it's for, for kind of advanced kids. They would put you for a couple hours a day, maybe a couple times a week, you'd get to go to the certain class for, for advanced kids. And so when I was in first grade, I appeared to be uh, fit that category. And they asked my parents um, if I wanted to be in it. And I didn't know about all this at the time, uh, or I would have said, sure, I wanted to. But my parents were asked privately, I guess. And they said, no, they didn't want me pulled out and being part of something. You know, f they thought it would be a bad thing for me, um, I guess, socially. And so, um, so I wasn't a part of that. Well, um, so in first grade, I had that appearance of being advanced. But that's only because... At that time in life, school was still kind of fun. School, when you're in kindergarten, you're in first grade, learning is fun. And the things you're doing are really simple. You know, you're not having to write out big, long sentences. You're not having to look up definitions. You're not having to write out whole math problems and show your work. It was fun. It was easygoing. It was actually fit my nature. It's who I was. Um, but as the years go by, school is going to get harder. And this advanced child, you know, is going to disappear because... I'm resistant to it. I hate every bit of it. Um, when you read a story in your your book and then they make you go look in the glossary for the definition, you got to write it out, the entire definition, and there's 10 or 15, 20 words. Oh, I hated every bit of that. It was like pulling teeth. And so I was going to slide through school as much as I could um, and get by and still not, you know, not have my parents kill me um, because I hated all that. That was not me. That was not natural. That was external pressure I was living by. Now, listen, as a, when you're a kid, you know, it is going to be in a sense honoring to God. He puts us in those situations. He knows, um, you know, I need to be obedient to my parents and honor them. Um, and so there's nothing I can really do about that. But here's the truth of the matter. Uh, in a perfect world, you know, that would not have existed because see, I was living, there was an external pressure. I would not have done it by my own choice. Had I been given a choice, I would have stayed home, slept in, maybe gone to school for a couple hours a day just to see the kids and do a little bit of the fun projects. And then I would say, well, you know, I'm ready to go back home and um, play with my dog or uh, play on a swing set. Uh, it wasn't natural. It was external pressure. Um, and so, and that's going to be, God's desire for me was the, the person he gave birth to. The, this person very unique, very specific, created with very special taste and likes. And that's just not me. That's every person I think God creates. Um, 
And he was rejoicing. He couldn't wait to see me enjoy all he placed in me. But, um, but soon enough, you know, we come into this world and external pressure takes over and we start living our life. You know, we live our life by the opinions of others. We live our life by, um, outside influence and we end up the person God gave birth to dies. He doesn't exist anymore. And so where this is really true in though, is it actually in our physical needs? This is where it really happens. See, God gave us all these needs so we could be dependent upon him. And we get to live, for those who fear God, guys, this is wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful knowing because I love my creator. I rejoice in him. I love knowing that he is the source of all good in my life. It's not a bad thing. Um, it, it's a wonderful thing for me to know and to have that humility and that, that weakness acknowledged that I depend on God. Um, I, I, I do love it. Um, but... Okay, sorry about this. I paused my recorder there for a second because somehow I kind of forgot where I was going with that about talking about I love the fact, you know, God uh, does provide for my for my needs. Um, but if we come to the world and uh, when we come to this world, you know, um, if we don't, when we come to the world and we don't yet know, you know, God's eagerness and God's desire to truly provide for us and when we don't really want him to, okay, and this is a real issue here. You know, you'd think every person in the world would love to know that, uh, that their creator is willing and eager to provide all that's good for them. But the reality is, no, people, I do believe there's people that really like the idea, the belief that they're taking care of themselves, they're self-sufficient. And they have no reverence for God himself. They have no actual, they don't revere him. Now listen, you can't revere God until he calls you. He actually puts that in your heart. It's of him. Because every good thing comes from God, period. We don't ex- create anything good in us. Even in this journey to salvation, we don't create any good. It all comes from God. But um, but with that said, just because God puts fear of him in your heart doesn't mean when he steps back that you're actually saying, yes, 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 I truly want to give up all my pride, all my belief that I, cr- it, that I provide for myself and l- rejoice in knowing then from that point on, God is the one responsible for all my good. And live in that and abide in that knowledge. Not every person, for some reason, you know, that's not attractive to them. And so, but what's going to happen though is, for 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 when people do not know the truly the real joy desire God has to provide for them, the true eagerness, and and in according to His wisdom, according to His will, um, what they are in, they essentially every time you know you get up and you go to a job you hate. Um, because you're doing it out of fear. You're in bondage. You're dead, all right? The person God gave birth to does not exist. You're not living by internal desire. You're living by external pressure. God created me to live by internal desire. He wants me to get up in the morning. And he wants my desire to dictate my day. He does not want fear, external pressure, dictate my day. And that's what our needs, these glorious needs God gave us so we can experience, oh, this, I think I was starting to say earlier, he gave us these needs. And so that those who fear him can experience the constant joy of knowing he's providing and aware and always, we live with a constant, we live in a constant state of thankfulness because every meal I get, every, you know, shirt I put on, and my brain's not always there, but I'm aware this is of God. And when I, that thought hits me, I mean, I'm filled with such thankfulness thankfulness that the one I revere, the one I think so highly of, it takes time to think of me. 
And so every day I get to abide in thankfulness because of these needs. But what happens is if I don't really, really have confidence that God himself is the only source of good, and I feel in myself that I can create good and that I'm responsible for my good, I'm going to live my life by external pressure. I'm going to live my life by this slavery to this pride that tells me, Jason, you can create good. You can ensure you'll always have clothes. You can ensure you always have shelter because it's your um, it's up to you and to the money you make and to how hard you work, then you can be assured these things. Well, when I go that road, when I live under that, and I, I lived under that um, life, <clears throat> then then Jason Holman, the child God created that he was going to rejoice over, that he looked so forward you know, to seeing me live my life according to the good things he put inside me, that Jason Holman ceases to exist because I, be, I become a slave to fear. I'm not living by internal desire. I'm living by external pressure. And therefore, I am die. I have died. I am no longer walking by the will of God. I'm walking according to the will of fear that's over me. I'm not walking by in love and trust of who God is. I'm walking in confidence to myself and relying upon myself to provide my needs. And, um, and I am imprisoned and I am dead. And so that's actually the parallel of Scripture. The death of Scripture still is not, um, the death of Scripture is condemnation. And it's the, the loss of God's Holy Spirit when we have condemnation. But the parallel in Scripture is actually, you know, the death would be, it's the fact I quit being who I really am. Every time I respond to fear, Every time I alter my steps to please someone else, when it's not really what my desire was to do, when I got to go, you know, feel I got to create good in, in, in someone's life because they're down, they're depressed, and I got to go, you know, do it. I really don't want to mess with it, but, you know, the burden's on me because I believe I can create good. I believe I have the power to make good, which is a false belief. I have no power. I cannot create good. Um, that's a lie of my pride. That's a lie of my ignorance. And when I live by that, then I'm in slavery and I'm always trying to fix the world around me. I'm always trying to solve everybody's problems. And it's not what I really want to be doing. It's what I'm doing because I'm walking by a pride that says you can create good and you have the power to create good and you're obligated to create good. And so and every time I'm doing this, trying to create this good that I don't really want to have the burden of creating, I'm dead. The living Jason Holman would be home, you know, sitting in front of his television, watching a movie, um, doing something on his computer, outside working in his yard, whatever, he'd be walking by his desire. But when I, but because faith is not present in my life, that God is the only source of good, and when I have any self-confidence in me, I live in bondage, and I live dead. I am a dead version. So now, so now though, how is this? I do believe this is connected to still a resurrection and life to come. Because if I never come to maturity, to become a person who is living 100% by internal desire until I come to know God and to know his love for me, to know his desire to do good for me, until I lose all confidence in myself, in my own flesh, until I lose all, um, when I lose all confidence in myself and my flesh and place all confidence in God, and I'm talking about having real confidence. This comes from a work of God. It's a, it's a long process. You can't have confidence in God until he shows himself strong on your behalf. So he's got to do the initiating. He, he's got to be the one that, the reason I have this confidence now before God is because I've walked with a God who showed himself strong on my behalf. I didn't go seeking him. He came and sought me. And he started a process, and I've always had to respond according to the measure of 
drawing he's given to me, he's always wanting to make sure, Jason, are, do you want me to be your God? Do you want me to be your provider? Do you want to trust in me to be the source? Do you want me to be your father, the source of all good in your life? Or do you want to live by, you know, your own hands? Do you like the pride of knowing that, hey, I did this, and so that other you can have the praise of men around you and the praise of yourself? Or are you willing to forsake all that and give yourself 100% to dependence upon me so I can have the joy of providing for you? And you can have the joy, if you love me, if you rejoice in me, the joy of knowing that I'm providing for you. And you can go live your life without the thought of good. You don't have to figure out good. You don't have to try to do good. Be good. That's not going to be your obligation. You're going to live 100% to be the person I created you to be and I desire you to be. Is that what you want? So he always gives me, you know, a chance to um, respond to that. But if I do not, let's say I say no, you know, and I keep just, I never come to this person who's living 100% by internal desire. And he looks at me. When he looks at me living by external pressure, he's grieved. That is not what he created. That is not, he is, I am not fulfilling God's purpose. I am not bringing God pleasure with my life. He's not looking at me and rejoicing. He's looking at me and he's seeing slavery and he's seeing bondage. And he's not going to allow me, you know, um, after, you know, this show is over here, this world of testing, this world, this womb, which is what I believe this world is. I believe this world is the womb. He's not going to resurrect me and put me into the world to come when this child is still in bondage, you know, he's not going to put me in a body that, that will not experience death. Um, that's not going to be under the threat of death. Now the threat, I still believe there'll be, you know, constant need, but I don't think death will ever really linger over me of the possibility, Ooh, I'm going to die. Um, but he's not going to put me in such a situation as that. If he's looking at a child who brings him perpetual grief and sorrow, uh, he gave me this world, this life, to give me the choice to come to him as he pulls and draws me and to see, um, you know, do I want to be a part of this? And so, and as long as I take advantage of it, come to maturity, then on the day, you know, stand before him. And he's like, yes, I look at you, you know, I know you allow me to provide for you. You trust me. You've given up all confidence in yourself. You're going to go live and you're just going to play like I intend for you to play. You're going to be, and listen, this does not mean that man does not contribute to, in the world to come or in this world, it doesn't mean I don't contribute to society. Here's what I've learned, though. When God wants me to contribute to the world around me, it'll never be from fear. It'll never be from, oh, if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? No, 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 no. I, I don't live by that, folks. I don't live under that bondage. Um, if not me, then who? Uh, well, I don't know, but not me. Not my problem. God didn't put me here to solve the world's problems. Um based on fear and based on my thinking, well, that's bad. And I got to solve that bad thing. Um, God, but it doesn't mean I won't. It just means that if God wants me to be a part of that solution, he's going to divinely, supernaturally, through his Holy Spirit, come into me. And he is going to kind of override my will, which I give him permission to do that 100% of the time that he wants to do that. And what he's going to do, the thing he needs me to do that's going to contribute to the world around me, that's going to be a positive, truly good thing, he's going to work it through me by his spirit so that I, it is my desire. So if given a choice, do you want to stay home, watch this movie? Do you want to stay home and uh, throw the ball for your dog? Do you want to stay home, take your four-wheeler up in the field? Or do you want to go help this person whose tire is flat on the side of the road? It's going to be, well, I can go help the person with the flat tire. 
not because I'm given to external pressure, not because I'm trying to find relief for the feeling that, oh, I got to solve this bad problem and I'm the solution to it. So I'm trying to essentially to free myself of guilt and to free the world of evil. That won't be my motivation. My motivation will be it's it's my desire to do it. It's exactly what I want to do because God put it in me to do. So it doesn't mean in a world to come there won't be responsibilities. There won't be people taking on tasks. Not at all. It means nothing will be a burden. Nothing will be anything except in conjunction with our desire of what we truly, you know, what's real in us at that present moment. And so that's where God's bringing me to, and that's God's desire for me. But to do that, he's got to ensure me that these physical needs that are here in this world, that I'm assured that God's got that covered and that I can trust him with all of that. And so therefore, I no longer, you know, um, do I still work? Yes, I'm still, I still have a few customers. I'm a self-employed handyman. I've been seized by this for a while now, and I've dropped off a lot of customers. I've slowed down my business. Um, and, um, but in the past, it was a little bit hard to do, but as more God has taught me, the more confident I am in him that not just that he's going to provide, but he is eager to provide. Okay. He's not just in my life, just kind of passively saying, okay, fine. You've, you've cried out. I'll, I'll give this to you. No, 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 no. He can't wait to give me that, which is good. And I know that. Um, and so, and so that comes in every need I have to where I'm no longer, uh, my life's no longer governed by fear. My life is no go- longer governed by a future. You know, retirement used to kind of hang over me. What if, um, you know, I'm in this world 20, 30 years from now, what's going to happen in Jason home and I have no retirement. Well, you know what? I have no retirement, but, um, am I going to be a slave to that? Am I going to, am I really going to alter my today, um, in fear of tomorrow? Absolutely not. Not going to happen. Um, because not, and this isn't a stressful thing. This isn't a hard thing. It's strictly, I know my creator. I know my God. I know he showed me he's in my life. He knows my name. He showed me that he is not just willing, grudgingly, or just willing to provide. That no, he's eager. He can't wait for a need to arise in my life that he can show me good. Now, with this, let me explain this. With this, let me get a drink of water real quick. Sorry. With, um, now, with this comes, though, you need to understand something else that happens with, is God is doing this work in my life. And God is trying to bring me into this um, son who's a reflection of who he is. Um, uh, one who's going to abide in complete liberty and complete love and qu- complete peace. And I'll, I'll talk in a little bit about how um, this being made from the dust ensures also that we can have the true spiritual gifts of God, of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness towards others. I'll explain in just a minute of how that's true. Um but um, what I was going to say was, okay, well, I just did it again. I p- recorder was paused for a second because I'd forgotten where I was going. You know, I'll have a thought, and then I'll sidetrack from that thought to just carry out a separate thought just briefly, and then my brain starts, where were you? What were you thinking? Where were you? And then I just blank out. Uh, happens quite a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll, we get there eventually, what I, all I was want to say. But anyway, um, you know, I, I know I was talking about, though, how... Um, you know, God, I do know he is not just willing, not just, but he is actually eager. Oh, okay. This is what I was getting ready to say though. It, it goes, but here's the other thing that happens in me as God is working in me. And uh, this is what will happen in all his people. It's not just that I know that, you know, pride is, 
Um, and I'm going to tell you later, we'll, we'll talk about pride in the garden, who the serpent was, who Satan is. Um, Satan is our pride. Um, is there a literal devil running through this planet wreaking havoc? Absolutely not. Um, that is not what Scripture is talking about. When the Scripture talks about the serpent in the garden, you know, later he's introduced as Satan himself, the devil. Um, what we're talking about, there's a devil inside every one of us. It's our pride. It's our unbelief. And our unbelief is proportion to the measure of faith that we have. So when you come into the world, you don't yet know God. You can't know God. You can only know God as you experience him. So that then leaves you self-confident. That leaves you confident only in yourself. It's you who's responsible for your needs. That's your pride. That's your doubt. That's your unbelief. That's Satan. Well, Satan keeps you in all kinds of evil bondage and keeps you imprisoned. But as God works in your life, as he begins to in working your life and show himself strong on your behalf, your faith grows. And as your faith grows, you know, right now I'm sitting here, I have one hand up high, one hand down low. The high hand is pride, Satan, my doubts, of who, and, and it's self-confidence. It's confidence in myself. That's who Satan is. It's pride. It's belief that I can, you know, take care of my own needs. I can provide for myself. And my other hand is down low, which is faith when I come into the world. It's non-existent. But as God begins to show himself strong on my behalf, for every increase of faith God gives me, my self-confidence decreases. Until eventually the goal is, you know, my, my other hand is up high in the air, the hand of faith, and pride and Satan have been crushed. And I no longer have self-confidence. But a one area of Satan, one area of self-confidence that, it, that is in us, that's also, it's not just doubting of worrying about whether God's going to provide our needs or not, or provide that which is good. It's actually the arrogance in us that wants to presume that we know what good is. Um, and so, and that's just as, you know, is uh, wicked or doubtful as, uh, you know, doubting God will provide our needs, is um, it's actually thinking we know what's best. And, uh, and naturally, that's what we're going to do. We come into the world. Who else do we trust in but ourselves? But God's going to show us who he is. And when he's done, what happens is what's happened in my life. It's not that I just, you know, know God's eager to do good for me. That's not it. It's actually I've given up my interpretation of good to some degree or, or pretty much completely. I don't really try to say, oh, this is good. This is bad in the moment of what's happening to me. My current circumstances, you know, over the past year, year and a half, have actually drastically gone downhill. That It started as God was going to really need to work in my life and get me pushed where he wanted me pushed. He had to take me out of a comfort zone, whereas my life had a fairly comfort, comforting level a few years back. God had to start you know, removing a lot of those comforts. He had to get me distraught. He had to get me kind of like out of a comfort zone, start seeking him again. Um... And so, and actually, since God has now done this work in my life, my quality of life has not actually increased all that much since then. That is not what's happened in my life. But there was a man who was tormented two or three years ago over certain issues in my life, certain areas of my life. And folks, it was just maddening. Um, and then I started seeing a promise of what God was really promising to do was he was going to bring heaven inside of me. He was actually not going to fix every problem around me. He was going to make it so that I trusted him and actually lived with a sense of good um, all the time. Now, when he showed me that's what he was going to do, I'm like, seriously? I mean, it, I believe what scripture said, but it just seemed almost impossible. It just, it was hard to fathom such a, an amazing place of life. Well, lo and behold, I mean, he's done that in me just through this incredibly long, uh, amazing process. Um, 
and, and, and revealing scripture and not just revealing scripture, working out what's in the scripture in my life. But um, so my circumstances have not really changed. There's still certain areas of my life that are just as bad as they were were um, a year back, year and a half ago, or even a few years back. Um, but out of that, you know, under certain areas of my life, you looked at, you would be like, man, Jason, aren't you sorrowful? Aren't you crushed? I mean, certain that um, areas, I may talk about them later. They, they actually involve my, my children. Um, I, I currently have no relationship with my children. Uh, through all this God did, uh, part of the end result was, you know, I, I'm, I ended up losing my kids for the most part. My daughter, for sure. I have no contact with my daughter right now. Uh, my son, uh, we have some involvement in his life, but it's very minimal. He wants no advice. He wants no help from us. Very hard and towards us. Um, and so and some people look at that and they say, oh, man, isn't that the most terrible thing in, in the world? Well, it's not what I really like. All right. Let's, so don't get me wrong. It's not like, some, oh, yeah, that's great. But here's what I know. I have utter peace. I have utter, complete joy in a situation because I know my God is good. I've seen how he's used it in the teaching me of the things I'll be sharing with you as time goes on. And the things he's taught me in my life, that's been essential. And so what I've slowly learned, I mean, it's been a slow process, but God has paid slowly. He has kindly brought me there that, Jason, you know, it's not your place to decide, live by. Your life cannot be dictated by, ooh, this is good. Oh, no, that's bad. This is good, bad. Oh, I'm happy. I'm sad. Not at all. God's bringing me to a place. Here's my assurance in my heart. I know the one who's good knows my name. I know the one who is good, who is the source of all good. He is eager to pour out that good upon me. I know he loves me more than I love myself. I know he desires to be better to me than I could ever hope to be to myself. And so in the midst of what's happening around me, and I know he does dictate my entire environment that surrounds me daily, the, the whole world that, that, that you know revolves around me, that, connect, that touches my life directly, God's hands are upon specifically in ordering my steps and bringing good into my life. And so with my children and with the other areas of life that um, are not desirable to the natural man, in the natural, I actually live with a place of total you know, peace, joy. I can't say I'm happy about it. I look forward to the day. Uh, we'll see what happens of, you know, children, my children, I believe they're hardened by God for a specific purpose and time. And uh, whether that'll ever change or not in my lifetime, I don't know. But I know it's been good in my life. I know it's been part of God's love for me uh, and, and bringing me in his care for me. And so that's my entire life is I don't judge good or bad. I don't, where God has brought me to, it's no longer my place to say, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And that's where he's brought me to. I just trust him. He's good to me. He knows what's good. I don't look at a situation in the moment. We can't see the future. We have no idea how it's going to play out for tomorrow, for a week down the road, 10 years down the road. Situations in my life I was crying about two or three years ago and fussing about, was mad about. The same exact thing still exists in my life, only today, I, seriously, I can get on my face before God and cry out, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You were so wise. You were wiser than me. I would have been begging God in my ignorance two years ago to change that situation. Please, 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 God, you know, how, how can this be happening to me? And now it's, oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It doesn't mean I still wouldn't like to see that certain things changed. If they were, I, I'd be happier, uh, not happier, but the actual naturally would be better if the thing was changed um, to where it wasn't contrary to what I thought good was. But now, um, but, you know, if that happens, it happens. But in the present, though, I actually, you know, it's 
it is good. And I really do know that. I don't question God. I don't doubt him. And so the circumstances that surround my life right now, I know are ordained of God. I walk with a continual peace, a continual life inside me. It doesn't fluctuate with whatever the news says that day or whatever happens directly in my life. Um, I know nothing, nothing but good can happen to me. And therefore, I'm no longer really in bondage to the soil. I'm no longer in bondage to the dust. Um, and, and that's part of it. So it's not just knowing that trusting that God's going to, you know, make sure I have every meal exactly on time. Rather, it's knowing that if there's a meal missed, if there's a day of not living under the shelter of a roof, it's knowing that peace doesn't leave me. It's knowing that the anticipation, the expectation of good does not depart from me. The expectation of good is upon me. And all I know is, yeah, I'm hungry now, but that's according to the good will of God who knows me better than I know myself. He knows tomorrow better than I do. And I get to live in, I get to abide, still enjoy. Will I be hungry? Sure, I'll be hungry. If I was sleeping outside under a bridge and it was cold, would I be cold? Yep. But would I be miserable and in despair, feeling forsaken of God? Absolutely not. I'd be living with expectation of God. Okay, today I'm under the bridge. What's that mean? Where are you bringing me to? You must have something really, really wise and good in store. And it doesn't always mean, um, or rarely in my life, does it ever mean physical circumstances are always going to change for the better. But what's going on in my soul? Oh my goodness. And that's where life is anyway. You you can have, it doesn't matter, you live in a palace, you live in your bank account's full, you're, uh, everybody's healthy that's in your life, you have everything you need physically, but if you're worried inside, if you have fear of losing those things, if you have anger towards people, you have um, frustrations, then you know, you're dead anyway. Um, and so life is inside us. Life is what goes with us. It's, it's our perspective. It's our belief. It's our, whether we were sensing good is with us or whether we're, we're in fear and dread. Um, and so, and, and so God is slowly removing all fear from me. He's freeing me from the, the bondage to the soil, to my needs. And by showing me, I got your needs covered and I know what's good for you. And I will always be working good for you. Trust in me. And so I trust in God. And so essentially what I'm doing, he is, I know God is good and he's a distributor of good. I have no power to do good. I know that. I have no ability in myself to make something good happen. And when I try to make something good happen because I'm trying to undo a sense of evil, that is when I'm going to actually create death and I'm going to create things that are not good. Um, and so um, you know, let, let's, let me go back here a minute ago. You know, I was talking about when we do something against our nature and, um, and how that's when we die. When I do something, you know, as a kid and which it's hard to say when I was a kid, because then I was under the instruction of my parents anyway, by the will of God, but let's pretend, you know, let's kind of take parents out of the equation and, uh, let's, or let's pretend there wasn't, um, you know, that it wasn't of the will of God. I'd be obedient to parents let's, just for the sake of argument, you know, so getting up on a, a Sunday morning and, um, um, go into a Sunday morning, you get up, you know, you don't really want to go to, to church, but you, you, you're told that's what's good and it's good for you, for your future. Um, and so when you get up and you, you know, you're forcing yourself, I'd rather stay home. And uh, we had this thing called wrestling at the chase in the St. Louis area that came on television on Sunday mornings, uh, um, is a little wrestling program. And I'd always rather much stay at home and watch that. That would have been the natural Jason Holman that God created. That was who I really was. But by external pressure, you know, that Jason had to die. And he had to go to 
a building he didn't really want to go to and do things. Um, I didn't resent God at all in the midst of that. But um, that wasn't natural. That wasn't what I really would have done by my own free choice. I did that by an external pressure, external obligation. Well, now in sin, in the Bible, when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that would mean for those who fear God, it's whatever they do to try to please God. That They're trying to undo a sense of condemnation. And every time they try to undo a sense of condemnation by doing something to bring God's pleasure upon them, they're actually sinning against God. Uh, because they're not trusting in the fact that God accepts them as they are. But we take that out into outside the pages of Scripture, into my life. And so what would sin be, the parallel of sin be? Sin is, the wages of sin is death. Well, anytime I do something by external pressure, when I'm responding to a fear, when I'm responding to a belief that i got to create good, because I'm not trusting God to be the source of all good and to take care of it, I'm actually... Um, you know, that would be technically a sin then outside the pages of scripture. And what's the death? The death, the wages of sin is death. I just died. I, the Jason Holman, the natural existing God-willed Jason ceased to exist in that moment because I died. And so and throughout my life, there can be constantly, you know, death, resurrection, death, resurrection, depending on is Jason living by who he really is, by his natural desire, or is Jason changing his behavior to impress somebody? Am I changing my behavior because I got to I gotta go do this good deed for someone so they'll think better of me or so something bad doesn't happen to them? And when I'm responding to these pressures because I think I'm good in and of myself and have the power to do good, that would be a sin. And the wages of that sin is death. Um, and that I, I, I lost out on being who God created me to be. So anyway, so you see, this is God's hope. And I know I'm going on here, but I hope this isn't um, boring, um, boring you to death. And if it is, and you know, that's, uh, that's between God and you. I say God and you because I don't want to put the pressure on you. Like somehow it's condemnation on your part. Um, you know, it's, it's up to God what he intends to do in your life. He wants to use us. If he does, fine. If not, you know, he's other ways. Uh, I don't know his ways. I'm not here to... Um, say this is either of God or it's not and put pressure on people that they should be listening with excitement because if not, you know, um, some, there's a flaw in them. Not at all. Not what I'd ever want to convey to anybody who's listening. Um, but anyway, I know it's been going on a little bit, but this is, it's a real thing that's happening here. It's a real hope of God. I mean, God's will is to to create a man who's come to, um, to really... Um, just trust in his creator is good. So God can perpetually pour out good upon me and I will be a source for God to satisfy his desire to do good. And then I will, you know, I, I will then be everything God wants me to be and accept all the goodness he wants to give me. And I will not be in bondage. I will not, I will walk completely liberated every second of my life. I will be 100% who God created me to be. I will not live in fear of offending God by my actions. I will not live in fear of offending other people. I will not live uh, in fear of not having my needs met. I will get up in the morning in the Jason Holman that is truly natural, that just the desires of Jason Holman will be able to be just expressed in his daily life, and I will just live. And the God who created me is going to dance for joy every time he witnesses me live in, in that place of his goodness. He's going to love seeing me in that position. And uh, I'm going to love being there. And I'm going to be filled with thankfulness in the presence of my creator, living with no shame, living with no bondage, and, and want to dance in, in his sight and to just live boldly before him 
um, and the freedom that he desires for me to live in. Now, I want to go in one more area real quick here, talking about the flesh, the soil, and um, the, the, why it's so necessary for us to be made from the dirt, the weakness of dirt. You see, God made us intentionally weak. It was so on purpose. He made us weak. We don't know we're weak. When we come out, we think we're strong. We think we're, we're able. We can create good. And God made us from dirt, folks. We're made from dirt. All right, dirt doesn't do anything good. Dirt cannot create. Dirt cannot uh, fix the world's problems. Dirt can't create joy. Dirt can't create happiness. Dirt can't create anything positive. It can't make anything positive. You're made from the dirt. You have no ability in and of yourself to do good, period. It's a delusion of your pride because you don't yet know God. You do not yet understand who he is. and You do not understand your place and why he made you weak and why he made you from the dirt. Um, and so God willing, he can bring you to a place where you come to rejoice in your weakness, which is where he's brought me. And that is essentially a tree of life is understanding your weakness, but not just understanding it, rejoicing in it and embracing it because you see the beauty in it. And part of the beauty is one of the reasons God made us from the dirt is, see, God isn't just about our physical needs. Um, that is not really honestly in, in scripture too. Once you enter into the pages of scripture, those are not the needs God's providing because those are people who fear God. That's a context of the fear of God. And, and these people want one thing. They want the approval of God. That's their bread. When you're reading about God, given their daily bread, their daily bread is the approval from him, the confidence that, that they are accepted by him. That is what, um, so, so you know what death is in Scripture? Death is condemnation. De- bread in Scripture, and not having bread, is the bread of feeling God's approval. That, that's the bread of the people in Scripture. Um, so Scripture is really not dealing with our physical needs anyway. It's only through the story of Scripture I know for sure that, hey, you know, God who did all of that in my life, he, I, of course he's got my physical needs. He desires to, yearns to pour good upon me in my physical but the, the scripture is actually dealing with the spiritual aspect of where life is. And it really is truly where life exists. It's in loving people. It's in not being angry. It's in not hating people. It's in um, just truly, you know, um, not judging people, not judging circumstances around you to truly just, you know, you rejoice in what's going on around you. Um, and the way this works is, let me explain. This is, um, uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but this is really, this is why we're created from the dirt and why we are made weak, why we are made unable to do, not do, to, to not do anything that's good. And listen here, you know, you may be hesitant to this, but this is why Jesus himself said, he rebuked the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, first thing he says is, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. And I think that passage puzzles a lot of people. Whoa, this was Jesus. Why was he saying he, he wasn't only saying God's good? Well, because Jesus walked in this dirt that we walked in. He walked in this flesh, dirt and flesh. When you see the word flesh in Scripture, it's always referring to our weakness. It's referring, well, uh, it's referring to our weakness, but it's usually referring to our confidence that we actually have, even though we are weak a lot of times. So it says confidence of the flesh. And, but, um, so when the scripture is talking about flesh, it's talking about our soil. It's talking about our inability to actually create that which is good. Jesus lived in that. He dwelt in this temple of dirt. And so, and he knew that he was saying, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God. And so what the, they were making a mistake. They were seeing Jesus, seeing the fruit that flowed out of him and saying, you're good. And they were thinking, they recognized that as good. 
And Jesus had to correct him. No, there's nothing good in me and of myself. This is flowing from God, and this is the work of God. Now, the reason that fruit flowed from Jesus is because Jesus understood that. It was that very truth that was actually the tree of life. Um, it was Jesus' understanding that in him there was no good thing, that he was utterly dependent upon God for all good that was in him. And that recognition actually created a good fruit that flowed out of him. And, um, and here, so here's what I mean. Okay, this has been a really radical change in my life the past few weeks. It was this revelation that finally um, brought me into, um, well, let me say this. You know, Scripture is a, it's a picture. I'm telling you, that it, it's an internal story, and it's been playing out in my life. I didn't know this for the first uh, 15, um, 14, 15 years of my journey. It was only towards the end I started to see the Scripture in this way, and I'd always be trying to figure out, where am I at in Scripture? And, and, and that's not always possible to do, and many times I think I was in one place when I was really, something else was being worked out. Um, and it may not, you know, it may not be my place to really look into that. But, but one thing I do know now is where am I at in scripture? I I've lived through what's called the reign of Christ, the thousand year reign. Um, and, and then, and, the, and that took me into revelations chapter 21, 22, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and God dwelling with men and, and the new heavens and the new earth and where men have access to the tree of life. That's where I'm at right now. That is the stage I'm in. I finally understand the tree of life. I understand what it is. I understand um, the beauty of it. And I'm reaching for its fruit now of my own accord, by my own will. And, um, and, 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 and I will abide in that stage until God is completed with me. And then we see what's next. It's only then I'll become fully released and fully ready to live. Um, but that's where I am at in Scripture. I have no doubts about that, that I am in that, that glorious phase. And it really is wonderful. Um, the only thing that's not wonderful about it is that I'm still in, I'm being held by God. I'm still seized. I'm still not living in this world. I'm still not, you know, there's just a hold upon me. My wife said today, she said something about uh, waiting to see how long I can go without, you know, going into town or anything. She goes, because you've been here at this house now for days and I do realize that it's, I'll sit in my recliner, my computer on my lap, and not always doing anything. Sometimes playing games, sometimes watching television, just, but whole lots of thoughts going on constantly, constantly, uh, especially since I started recording and, and really just working through things. Um, and I, I told her today, I said, Karen, I said, just know this is real, what's happening in me. I'm just, I'm not bored. I'm not miserable. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sort of existing. It's a good existence, but I'm not living. I know that. I'm not living, but that's okay because this world isn't really um, much to live in right now. Anyway, is it? the whole world's kind of on hold in a strange sort of way, so it's really not a bad time to be going through this particular season of life. Um, but anyway, so that's the only negative to where I'm at. It's incredible glorious otherwise because I do know the secret. I understood what Jesus understood. And it is, this just came recently. It was like the final, oh, most wonderful of all revelations. It's, um, it is recognizing that man has no good in them. Zero. That, our default setting is ungood, not good. We can't create good. We can't create anything positive. All we can do is abide in it as God gives it to us. That's it. According to his will, we abide in what God chooses to give us or chooses not to give us. That is all we experience of good. And so with that, you know, I live in the same world you live in, and I can get frustrated with no matter which side of politics you may be on. Uh, if you grew up more conservative, you're frustrated at what would be the political left. If you're grown up political left, you're frustrated at the political right. 
And we all have our frustrations to a degree. We all feel threatened by the other side, and that's the enemy. And we all think the other person's just out and out evil. And therefore, we have hate, and we, we think, how oh, those evil people, they're going to get it. And I've lived many years with that in many ways. It only intensified as God started working in my life, man, there was a lot of hate actually in me. I thought it was righteous hate. I thought it was good. I thought it really was of God and part of fearing God. But where it came from was where all hate comes from, where all anger comes from is your belief that you actually, you know, you know good and you can create good and you are good. And you have an expectation because you have this misguided understanding. You actually have an expectation on others to be good according to your standard. And when they fall short, you're angry. You, you, you just think they're just evil. They're being negligent. They're being, well, what God is, I mean, what I've really come to understand, and this is through a long process. I can tell you, tell you this all day long, but, and you can say, oh, I want to believe that. But until God works it in you and really shows you and reveals to you your weakness, God's revealed to me my weakness. He's re- revealed to me my dependence upon him. So where now when he revealed this truth, it's, and he's revealed, revealed the beauty of it. I'm glad to embrace it, glad to accept it, and glad to rejoice in it that there is none good but God. Jason Holman, the only thing positive that exists in you is when I work through you and bring it to you. That's evil would be your default setting. And so, and, and so I suddenly realized, you know, to blame men for what they're not is utterly, it, it's idolatry. It, it's, it's, it's lack of faith. It's a lack of understanding who God is. And we can't help that when we first come into the world. So I'm not judging others for, for being in that position. I'm just telling you the root of all the evil that's in you is what the Bible would call the love of money. And what the love of money is in scripture, when the Bible's talking about money, it's talking about confidence in yourself. That's the, the, the money, the mammon of scripture is self-confidence, self-reliance. That's the root of all evil. The root of your anger is a belief you are good, that you are making right choices, and that that person is not making the same right choice. And so you look at them, and you hate them, and you despise them. You do not love them. You have expectations on them because you think they're capable of living up to something better than what they're doing, and you're disappointed in them, and you hate them for that, um, for what they're expressing. But when you come to know... Uh, you know, the other day, I, this is when God revealed this to me. It, it was God, the timing of God. Let me just tell you a little story because the timing of God in my life sometimes is just so astounding. And it, 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 it shouldn't surprise me anymore, but it still surprises me, still makes me feel incredibly special and incredibly loved by him and known of him. And that's all wonderful. I, I enjoy the attention from him for sure because I love him and love to know he's thinking of me. But the other day, we have this field in our house, by our house, uh, or, I mean, it surrounds our house. We have hundreds of acres we have access to. And um, and, and we walk back there. We have this road. We, we mow a trail, and then it leads to actually a gravel road that was poured back. And then um, and it's about a mile and a half walk. We get to go on, and then, then a return trip. Um, but the other day, <laughs> crazy thing is, okay, so somebody moves into this house, down the, the road from us that, that adjoins his property. The, the man we rent from owns all the land. And then he has another rental house down the road from us that, that surrounds, that's attached to the same piece of land. And um, the other day, it was just kind of weird. It's like the way God works. I was thinking, oh, uh, those people, I hope they have trash service because I'm afraid that they would go maybe, um, since a guy has access to land, I hate to see him dumping on this guy's land. Uh, and so, you know, you know, crazy fear. Like, why in the world are you even worried about that? Well, um, the other day I'm on a walk and I'm actually thinking something about, um, oh, I was trying to puzzle through something like, well, God, how does this knowledge help 
I can't explain the situation. But all I can tell you is that the very thing I was thinking, like what happened if somebody does something that really, you know, I think is evil, how's that going to really, how am I going to find joy in that? How am I going to be able to really find life in that? And lo and behold, I get to the end of this trail where this gravel road ends, and there's this big pile of stuff. Uh, and it wasn't a huge pile, but it was clearly dumped there, out in plain view. I couldn't believe the guy dumped it there. Of uh, from his, I recognized the materials that did come from the house because I'd done some work on it. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Uh, he just dumped this stuff right out here in plain view, way back on um, our, our landlord's land. And I was, for a second, you know, it was, it was like the exact same thing I was questioning God about. That exact same feeling came up in me. I encountered that exact same scenario right then. And, but even knowing that it's like, you know, this is okay. This isn't chance here, Jason, but still it didn't help me not be angry. And it's like thinking, you know, I need to call landlord or I need to go tell that guy. Next time I see him, don't you even think about doing that. Um, but, um, but it's not that simple because of other, some few other circumstances. But anyway, so I'm sitting there thinking, I knew all this wasn't really good. I knew, in a, uh, I understood that, you know, God was trying to teach me something big here. It's just, Jason, just, you know, just don't go off on your anger. Stop, hold your anger in and let's let God, you know, teach you what he's wanting to teach. And it just wasn't too long after. I don't even know when it, when the thought finally dawned on me, the tree of life. When I finally understood, Jason, you're angry at him, aren't you? Because you're expecting something better of him. You're anger for what he dumped. You're thinking he shouldn't have. You have an expectation. You think, um, he said, here's, and understood where I was wrong. You're actually judging the guy for what he did, th- expecting something better. When how can that guy do better? Because good is something only comes from God. If it wasn't for God's divine hand working in this world, good only comes from God and through God through his intention all the time. You know, there's no exception to that. If it's good that happens in this world, it happened by God. And if God releases his hand of good off this world, folks, this world spins into chaos overnight. There would be junk piles everywhere. This world would be nothing but gunshots and hate and murder and um, every sort of violence you can imagine. Uh, we'd be, our fields would be filled with weeds and um, our trees would all be cut down. The world would be a barren desert in just a matter of years if God was not sustaining this world through his own divine hand. Um, and so, but in that, in that exact situation though, I mean, I was confronted with this frustration like I thought was over. I thought actually it was something that was old in my life. But um, as I was pondering, well, God, but if I encountered this situation, I bet, how would I, how would knowing this truth prevent that anger um, and lo and behold, as I am in those very thoughts, I was on the roadway thinking that when I encountered the very thing I was thinking about that situation and the thing I was angry about, but w- the relief came, the actual love was able to return towards the, the person who dumped. I mean, sincerely, uh, my disappointment in them ceased when I realized, why are you being disappointed? You had an expectation of something better. That was error on your part. You expected good from something that can't do good. That's the default setting. That is the natural default setting of humans um, is would be without the hand of God would be. um, And and so to understand, he was just responding to his fear. You know, it it costs a lot of money. It takes stuff to a dump close by us. um, And and he was just he was trying to make it came from him trying to create his own version of good. It wasn't good to have that junk at his house. So let's get rid of it where I'll dump it somewhere else where it's out of my sight. Um, he was responding to his fear, trying to create his own good. Um, 
and, and in the process of trying to create good, you know, creates, that's what humans do. When we try to create good, when we try to undo an evil of our heart through the works of our own hands, folks, all we do is create destruction and misery around us. Um, and that, that will never be, that will always be the truth. The only reason this world is still, after all these years, still has some beauty to it. Still, is not because of men and all their policies and all their, it is strictly by the hand of God. It is by his interworking into our world and through people, through his Holy Spirit. And I'll explain how he does that. Uh, maybe in the next episode, we'll be ready to talk about the word of God and what that really means and how, um, which is actually the tree of life. I'll, I'll explain eventually how that all connects. But, um, and so without the hand of God, folks, this world would not be existent. We would be a desert. There would not be any resources. There would not be, we would have destroyed it long ago. But God has throttled it. God throttles it by his own good coming and working in, in the lives of men, even though they may or may not believe in him. What you see good in this world is not accidental. It's not coincidence. It's not by men making right choices. If it's truly good and eternally good and long-term good, it's of God. And it's directly created by God and God's worked it through. And so God pulls that away. You have nothing but destruction and misery and wrath and anger and hate and people fighting and fighting to get, you know, we, we just seen the tip of the iceberg with, with, you know, COVID and all of a sudden meats disappearing off the shelves and toilet paper and people responding to their fears. Well, you take God out of that equation, folks, that's where we'd be in all the time. But the only reason we don't live perpetually in those moments is because God kind of, he, he, through his own hand and power, comes in and relieves people's fears, and he gives them a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope and, um, and, and to keep this world functioning as it needs while he gathers his people and gathers his elect for, you know, a world to come. So, um, so anyway, but, but the answer that really was, I mean, I've really found peace and I've found peace. It's been a change of life since it's been the ultimate change of life of turning on the news and the, um, politicians or sides would make me angry in the least. It's no longer saying, Jason, why do you expect, you know, if God, God, only God could come in and work good through them. They are what they are. They have no choice to be what they are. Your judging of them is essentially judging God and his wisdom and God's and really understanding this now, really knowing this, because I have a proof of this. I have something, it's not a theory. I know for certain in my heart by looking to the tree of life that that is true. And by look to the tree of life and eat from its fruit of humility, the, it's eating from the acknowledging I am weak. It's acknowledging I am helpless. It's acknowledging I am powerless to create good. And as I eat that fruit of humility, what the fruit that flows from me is love and kindness towards others because I have no more expectation of them. I can't be disappointed by them. I'm no longer judging people by their actions because I know that... Um, that what we are is what God puts in us and what God works through us. And, um, and so I don't have expecta expectations on people. I don't judge people by, Ooh, that person's nice. That person's kind. That jerk pulled out in front of me. That person held the door open for me or didn't hold the door open for, for me. Um, you know, those judgments have ceased, um, uh, and maybe not perfectly yet, but we're, we're certainly, it's certainly much closer, um, than I was a week ago or two weeks ago. And so I do, and this isn't like a head game. It's not something I force myself into every moment. It's a reality of life. I mean, to where now I can encounter something that's, you know, not naturally desirable or it seems offensive at first. And then it's like immediately the offense comes, but immediately I look to the tree of life. Jason, we are weak. We are dependent on God for all good that flows into us. And, and when I know that, then I just look and I understand 
the situation is is a testament that this is what would be the norm. This is the default. That's normal, Jason. Where you got it wrong, instead you should be seeing what is good and being abounding with thanksgiving because knowing that is from God himself and just enjoying the fact that God has put any good in this world at all. Um, And so that's why God made us weak. That is another reason he made us of the dust. It's so that we can bear the true spiritual likeness of God. God is love. When the Bible says God is love, let me explain what this means. Um, in the scripture, you go, how far are you? Let me check my time here. I know we have been going on for a while now. Oh, oh my, okay. <laughs> I probably just lost every listener in the whole world. I just realized this. Um, but yeah, as if I had any to start with. Um, but here's what scripture means when it says God is love. We're going to look, you know, you hear the word agape. I, I call it G26. Um, love because that's the the Strong's. If you look it up in a concordance, a Strong's concordance, um, uh, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, certain wor- Greek words are given a numeric value. It just work. It's a simpler way of um, looking things up. And that, and that numeric value for Strong's, they set it at G twenty six, and uh, it, it's agape. And um, but what does love of God is is actually what the Bible says. God is love. It means this. God has no expectations on man. That love that we're t- talking about right there is not actually a projected love. You got to understand that. And this is hard to get your mind around. But when the Bible talks about, you know, God is love, God is love towards me, that's not the same love that's actually compelling God to work in my life and create good and pr- give good to me. That's a different word. That would be more grace. That'd be more mercy or kindness. Um, that'd be a, or if they was going to use the word love, it'd be a different kind of love. That is not the same love. When the Bible talks about God loving me, it's not really that projected favor love he has towards me. Instead, it's more of a mechanical kind of love. And I know that word sounds kind of cold, um, but it's not cold at all, really. I'm just using that word to kind of, it, it's almost the way the machinery operates. God is love. It's because he can't be anything else but love towards man. Um, towards man, and so you got to understand when the Bible says God is love, it is specifically speaking towards man in this instance, because this love God has for us is the reason God is love towards man. What that love means, God has no expectations. God does not look at men and judge them for any sort of fault or any sort of shortcoming or any kind of whether they do good or not good. And the reason is, is because God knows how could I judge them for that when I did not create them with the capacity to do good. So God knows man has no capacity to do good. And therefore, God has zero, 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 zero expectation or demands of men. God looks at all men and he is not saying you must conform your actions to please me because God knows there's no possible way for a man to do an action that would please God with one exception. And this gets may seem like a contradiction, but it's really not. It's just part of how the mechanics operates is that God, the only thing then that's going to please God is when people trust that. And when they quit trying to change their behavior, um, to please God. And this is only going to apply to people who actually fear God. This isn't going to be a relevant story to those who have not entered into a fear of God and really hunger and thirst to please the one who created them. Um, but for those who hunger and thirst to please God, it is God is saying, you want to please me. Here's what you got to do. You got to quit trying to please me because when you're trying to please me, it shows you don't have faith. You don't really believe I'm the God of love. And it believes that you actually you don't, you believe, you still have confidence in your flesh and you think you should be able to do something good 
when I created you the exact opposite. I created you, you so you cannot do anything good. I created you weak on purpose and because that's going to be the source of all love. That's why I love you because I have no expectations of you. You can't disappoint me. You cannot disappoint me. You can't upset me. You can't make me frustrated. You can't do something that's going to gross me out. You can't do something that surprises me because I know that in you is nothing good. In you is a vacuum, a void of darkness and evil. And if I don't come in and invade that darkness with my light, by my will, there's going to be nothing but destruction and misery and heartache and, and violence all around. And so that's my expectation. That is the norm. So you can't disappoint me. You can't upset me. Your evil that happens in your life is on my shoulders. And so God is love. God has no judgment. God has no hatred. God has no disappointment, no anger towards men. Yes, I know in the scripture you're going to see anger and wrath. That's in the scripture. It's part of the story. And whenever you see anger and wrath, that's towards in me as God's working in me, trying to do this good thing. And I keep seeing God as I live in doubt and pride. And I still think I can do good and God expects something of me. And I got to meet his expectations. He is so angry that that doubt exists in me. He is angry towards that pride. He's angry towards that wrath because that wrath is keeping me from the good relationship with God he wants me to have. It's keeping me from all the goodness he desires to give me. So it's an allegory. It's a picture of God's anger at, at this pride and doubt that exists in me and the lack of faith I have towards him and who he really is. And so that's the projection of God's anger. That's the only anger you're going to encounter is scripture. God's never going to be angry at me. If I pick up right now and say, I quit this race, I'm going to live in this world. I'm going to go just make my life here, and um, which isn't going to happen, be utterly insane um, with what God has done. I wouldn't trade this for, you know, there, there, there's just nothing that could even make me flinch from the path I'm on. But if I did, is God going to be disappointed and hate me and then throw me in the pits of hell later because he's angry? I offended him. Not at all. Would he be disappointed? Um, only in no sense of he, he lost an opportunity to have someone to pour good upon. He's rejoicing that he is this vessel to be good to. And he's, he's rejoicing that he has somebody who says, yes, father, yes, be good to me. I receive it. I accept it. I rejoice in it. He has that opening. And, 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 and so he would be disappointed to lose that, but would he be angry at me? Would he hate me? Would he not at all? He has no expectation. He has no demands. He is the God of love. And the reason that love exists is because he understands man. He knows what's in us. He knows nothing good is in us. So therefore, it's more of a, it's not a projected love. It's more of a steady love that just doesn't allow for hate and anger of an expectation and demands. And that's what God wants us to walk with towards our fellow man. It's a place of not projected love. That's a different kind. God is not calling me to love my neighbor as myself by meaning that I'm going to always be there to, to um, fix their car if it breaks down, even if I don't want to be, um, or to take care of all the problems. Not at all. Loving my neighbor as myself is wanting the same thing from a neighbor I want them to you know, give me is I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be expected. I don't want to have demands placed upon me that I feel I got to become something you know, to, to meet their expectations. I want to be able to live freely in the presence of my neighbor. I want to be the real Jason Holman. I would love to come out and just be truly who I am in the presence of everybody and never, ever have a fear of them going, oh, I can't believe you, you, you do that or you act that way or, or that's embarrassing or that's gross. And I, I wish, you know, to just be me, who I really am, who God created me to be, every weird little quirk, every little pleasure I enjoy to be able to just be, you know, out and open about it. 
Um, but yet we don't do that because, you know, we, we people have a expectation, a demand upon us. And um, and so we are always constantly contorting, which isn't really anybody else's problem. I when I say this is, you know, God, we're, when God's done with me, it's my problem if I worry about people's judgments. God's bringing me to a place where really I'm not go, I'm going to become oblivious to fear of what people think of me. And I will live freely, even though they are judging me, maybe it won't be a bother to me. It won't even, you know, won't be a thought um, because I'll so value his good opinion of me and knowing my father, you know, thinks good of me. He's rejoicing over me, you know. So why why would I not dance when I feel like dancing and, and worry? Why would I stop doing that? Because someone else might think ill of me or think, you know, it's weird or goofy. When uh, why would I care about more about their opinion versus the God I really love and revere? Um, if he thinks good of me and wants to see me dance, then, you know, because that's what I want to do, then by golly, I'm going to dance. Um, so those are things he's working out in me. But that's a kind of love. So the way we're going to love like God is understanding what God understands. God understands our weakness. He understands our incapacity, our inability to create that which is good. And so... Um, and so it's through that that God is able to, um, he, he just, he, we don't disappoint him. We can't anger God because how can he be angry at somebody that he has no expectations of? And when that gets, when that day star, when that reality dawns upon us, when God works in us and brings that truth to light, oh, my friends, it, 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 it is truly, it's life everlasting. It's a no more being disturbed. No more, no more afraid to turn on the news because you're afraid of what you're going to see. Yeah, I still turn it on and there's a momentary just, uh, I can't believe they're thinking that or acting that way. And then it stops immediately. I look to the tree of life. Jason, why are you expecting something that they're not capable of? And I go, oh, and it's not an insult. That is not demeaning them. It's nothing. It's not like, because I know in myself that, you know, I... We're on equal ground. The only difference is the measure of goodness God works in me, and it is God working it in me. And um, it's, it's according, but it doesn't make me a good person. I am not a good person. Jason Holm is not good. Um, there's no goodness in me. I am without God. I am nothing, and without His work. And so, and even with Him, I'm still nothing. It is God Himself. So, um, but um. And, and so that that's essentially what God, you know, his hope is for man. Um, and I know this has taken a while. Um, it is to bring me to a place of utter liberty, a place of just knowing, you know, yes, I have these glorious, these needs. And then I have these glorious, um, you know, um, oh, our senses, these pleasures to be satisfied of taste and touch and hearing and, and to understand, to never be, to never limit my pleasure that never to, you know, to even limit the amount of pleasure I'm able to pursue anymore because I understand, you know, God, if I'm happy, if I'm truly doing it, you know, out of thankfulness to God, you know, it, there, there is nothing offensive to him. I don't have to say, was this good or bad? No, if I'm enjoying it and I know God gave me the capacity to enjoy it, he intended me then to enjoy it. Um, so I'm, there's no more asking, is this good? Is this bad? No, I walk in liberty and I, I walk in thankfulness and I walk in honesty to who I am. The honest part of Jason Holman, if I'm honestly enjoying something that and giving me pleasure and enjoyment, I can do it, you know, boldly in the presence of God. Um, and so that person, and that is who God's creating. God's creating the person who walks without fear. So I'm not living my life, contorting my day to worry of, oh, I got to pay my bills. Oh, I got to, if I don't, who's going to do it? Well, you know, 
um, I'll be wherever God wants me to be. He has nothing but good intended for me. But this is a process. This is a work of faith. This is a work that can only begin when a fear of God is first initiated in a person and they are able to walk with their God. You've got to walk hand in hand with God. You've got to walk beside him so he can talk to you, speak to you through his Holy Spirit and work in your life and bring you to this glorious place if this is where you want to come to. Um, but it will be his work. He will initiate it. Uh, part of that initiation is if by the miracle you've listened to this truly with interest and excitement, actually. Um, you know, that's of him. That's not of na- that's not going to be natural. Nobody's naturally going to have sat through two hours of Jason Holman. Yak, yak, yak. Not going to happen. Um, except, you know, at the, my, my, my wife, maybe. Um, but uh, other than that, um, and uh, hello, Karen, if you are listening. <laughs> But, um, you know, other than and but uh, other I, I doubt people are just going to, you know, listen to this guy who, who talks longer than he should about things. But um, but if you are and uh, you're really interested, then, you know, there, there's a good chance that that is it begins with God's work. And that could be the beginning of God's work. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? That God is offering man his hope, the liberty he wants to bring you to. Can you imagine walking with no hatred? towards with no expectation towards others can you imagine walking fully secure in and of yourself and and fully just not really not altering your behavior to impress others to to get their approval not being a slave to needing no it's one thing to enjoy a house that's nice it's another thing to be a slave to it because your house is not just shelter it's actually a symbol of who you are of your value the same thing with your car the same thing with your physical fitness and your sports and it's all it's not just things you enjoy because you're just enjoying it it's a symbol it's attached to your value can you imagine being free of that and free to not have to worry about you know any of these vanities the world puts uh, value on to not have to worry about going and getting an education just so you can have a degree so you can maybe get a little higher paying job to create a way of life that others will think is uh, makes you a good person imagine a freedom the liberty the liberty of not having a single worry a single fear because you know that nothing but good can come to you you know that only comes through the knowledge of who god is and that only comes through you're only going to know that about god after you've walked with god and that's only going to come to those who fear God, who come to a place of truly, you know, turning their desire to please him and him alone and see him as greater than themselves and see him as the one worthy. When you worry about God's pleasure, you worry about God being fulfilled through your life. When that becomes your moment by moment focus, and you never, ever, ever turn away from that. And he is the focus of from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed, God, what do you desire from me? It's through that heart of turning towards him that he then is going to be able to have access into your life and to be able to begin this incredible work. And folks, it is incredible. I've not lied to you at all in what's going on. This is reality. This is the end of a journey. Um, and now, you know, next phase, the good phase, this has been the womb. This has been the birthplace of Jason Holman. And that birth is getting ready to finally, the womb, the uh, labor pains are are now going forth. And, and so, and soon I will be completely born as a son of God and I will be completely released and free to live and not have to do this journey, worry about this journey anymore, but I would just be free to be the son of God. He's creating me right now to be. Uh, but this is the truth. This is what the scripture is about. This is what it's leading to. This is God's hope for man. God did not create men to be servants. God did not create men because he needed somebody to make him happier, to make him feel better about himself. 
That is not why God created man. God created man for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to be an outlet for God's good and to be a creature God could rejoice to pour good upon and whom they would receive his goodness. And therefore, by knowing their weakness, they would then, the same love that flows in God, the same joy, the same peace, the same, because they recognize their weakness, it would actually abide in them as well. The secret of life is realizing how weak you are, how powerless you are, how incapable of doing a single good thing you are. Um, and, and that's going to create love and patience and kindness in this world around you towards everybody that surrounds you. You're going to quit having a scale of judging. Well, I like that person because they're meeting your expectations or I hate that person because they're evil. That scale is going to get crushed and shredded instead of the, 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 the measurements going to be flattened across the board. Because the measurement's going to be the fact that, you know, we can't do good. So there's no expectation. There's no anticipation. There's no desire to see a certain action out of somebody. Because you don't expect. You don't hope that men are going to be good. Because, you know, it's a false hope. You just rejoice in what good you see knowing it came from God. And what you don't see as good is just that's the norm. That's the expectation. No reason to be angry. Because you would be, you're, um, you're in the same boat except for what God works in to you through his own good hands and his wisdom. So um, anyway, there's a lot more we could say, but I think it is well time to bring this to an end. And um, I do thank you all for uh, listening so far. I do hope it, uh, you know, you know what I'm, who am I to hope and what am I to hope for? You know, God knows what he intends to do. He knows what he's trying to achieve. And um, in the next episode, then I'm going to talk about how, uh, or this is my intention, you know, this is what God intends to do in our life, but how can he do this? How can he enter into a person and begin to work this out and to walk hand in hand with him? Um, and we're going to discuss, you know, what is actually really, really difficult about that, why God is actually hindered from doing that, and how in his wisdom he overcame that problem. And, um, and, and we'll talk about that. It involves what's called the Word of God. You know, in Scripture you hear, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, what was that Word? What is that talking about? I'm going to share with you what the Word of God is. And it is essentially, it's also, it's actually the tree of life. Um, and I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll make the connection to the tree of life with it as of yet, but um, I will explain to you what the word of God is. And it's quite incredible. It's, um, it is the, um, it, it is the revelation of how weak we are. And it's what lets me know, yes, I am weak. It's the word of God that reveals that to me. And I'll explain to you what the word of God is in the next episode and how, you know, God had to use the word before he could start working in my life and bring me to him. So, um, but we'll get there next episode. And so if you're here, then, you know, I, I'm happy for you. Glad you're here. Um, don't be afraid to, you know, click the like button at the end of an episode. If you actually listen to it all the way through, um, that kind of lets me know somebody, it's hard to, you know, tell who's listening, who's not. Um, you don't really know if anybody's listened to a whole episode or if they just listened to part of it. So, you know, click the like button. And, um, if there is one available through whatever means you're listening, um, and to just say, you know, yes, I'm here. I was listening. Or, you know, if you're listening with excitement, if you followed this out all the way through, and right now you're still with me and you're listening and your heart's excited, um, you know, don't be afraid to send me an email to um, just, you know, let me know you're out there and you are listening and you're still, you know, looking forward to what's coming next and in the recordings. And uh, you can send an email to saved from death contact. That's saved with a D. Saved from death contact at gmail.com. Um, and just, uh, you know, let me know you're out there and you are listening. But, um, with that said, 
there you just have a little bit of a revelation of the hope that God has for man and um, what he hopes to do in our life. And he's a good God with a great hope. And I am very privileged to be a part of it. And, you know, we'll see what God has in store for others, you know, that surround my life. It, it, we'll see if this is, uh, if he's getting ready to do something through me to, you know, bring this hope to reality in other people's life. Or is this just part of my own story, part of my own growth, and um, which I suspect it is, but you know, time will tell. So um, anyway, thank you all for listening and I will see you all at the next episode.